church today. <laughs> so this is the first Sunday with three services, and essentially what we, um, what we hoped to do was add an earlier service, 8 o'clock, to free up room in the later services, and so, so far, that's not working. <laughs> so full disclosure, there's about 400 open seats, unlimited donuts, hot coffee, <laughs> 8 a.m. is where it's at, all right? If you can make it, <laughs> you can make it. Uh, no, next week, just bring your sledgehammer because you see this wall, we'll take it down together and just expand, okay? That'll be the service. Um, guys, I uh, would appreciate your prayers for myself and Pastor Steve. Pastor Steve is already there. I'm gonna be joining him tomorrow. We have a really special invita- invitation with our friends, our partners down in Cuba. God is doing some really neat work there. We're gonna spend the next five days training about 35 folks that want to plant churches. They want to plant churches. What happened was Cuba officially moved from being atheist to secular. And those in authority said, well, you, you Christians can meet, but you can just, y'all can just meet in your homes. And I'm like, that's great. That's perfect. That's like kind of how we got our start, you know? So he didn't understand what he did, but it was cool because essentially what he did was he birthed this massive house church movement in Cuba. You know, that's how God works. And so now, yeah, pray for us because tomorrow we begin training some of those guys and I'm just super stoked for it. It's gonna be amazing. Um, so how's your bracket? We actually have a guy that attends the church who played for the FDU basketball team in the 60s. You know, he's got his picture, and that's now he's got his 15 minutes of fame for sure, right? For sure. So welcome, everybody. Those of you who are new for the first time, so great to have you. If you've got a second after the service, I'm hanging out right down here, and I would love to be able to meet you. For the last few weeks, we've been opening up the Bible, and we've been looking at the words of Jesus. And the idea all along is, is sort of this. Everybody has their thoughts and opinions about who Jesus is. I think it's best to let Jesus speak for himself. And when we do, we find some things that are incredibly profound. And so the message this morning is for anyone who has ever considered themselves to be a truth seeker. It's for anyone who has ever considered themselves to be a truth seeker. And so what's going to happen is Jesus is going to enter into this conversation with you. And he's going to use three words specifically. Ask, seek, and ask, seek, and knock. And there's a progression to these words. It's simple to ask. That involves just using your voice. Doesn't take a lot of effort. But the seeking, that requires something a little more. There's more of an engagement there. You're pursuing something. And then to actually knock, that involves some physical movement. Ask, seek, and knock. There's a progression to it. And what you find is that there is this this kind of this, this door in life. And, and what's on the other side of this door is something you've never dreamt or even imagined existed. And essentially what it leads to is the life that you have always wanted to live here and now, and bonus, it leads to 
life in the life to come. Ask, seek, and knock. What's on the other side of that door is something unexpected and quite beautiful. I, I think of that scene in the Chronicles of Narnia where Lucy is playing hide-and-seek with her siblings, and she hides in the back of the wardrobe closet, and as she's moving closer back, you know, to the further of the closet, she's moving further back, and all of a sudden, she feels this She gets a little cold, and she feels this little tap on her shoulder. She looks, and it's a tree branch, and then all of a sudden, she looks up, and she's in this winter wonderland. It's a place that she never knew existed, and so as people are engaging with Jesus and he's having these conversations with them, it's like he's opening up this door to another world that they've never experienced before, but he says there's a process to it. Ask, seek, and knock. We've been reading from the greatest sermon ever preached. I've said it many times. All of us preachers have to bow down at the feet of Jesus because this is the best sermon ever on the side of a hill north of the Sea of Galilee. Thousands of people are gathered, and they've never heard anything like Jesus before because when he speaks, there's this truth, and truth just resonates with people. No matter who you are, no matter how you're living your life, you start to hear things, and you're like, oh, I might not agree with that, but I can't deny the fact that that's resonating within my soul. That's because created in the image of God, you were meant to live life for him. And so as as Jesus is speaking, people are like, this guy's got authority. Never heard anything like it before. And the masses are are drawn. And so he's wrapping up the sermon by talking about what it means to have a personal relationship with the God who created you. And, and, And there are three pillars to any meaningful relationship, communication, trust, respect. And so he says, let's end our time together by talking about the communication you have with the God who created you. Matthew chapter seven, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. So which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So if you're a, a, a thinking kind of person, you should be asking this question. Well, the Bible describes God as being omniscient, which means he's all-knowing. Why do I need to ask him for something if he already knows everything? Right? Well, because this is about God wanting to have a relationship with you. This is communicating. James tells us that uh, you, you don't have because you don't ask. So there's, there's something in this relationship, the way that God created us, for the purpose of engaging with him in conversation so that we might understand him better and in doing so even know ourselves better. And, and this isn't to say that we get everything that we ask because in the very next verse, James chapter four, verse three, we're told you ask, but you don't receive. Why? because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So this goes back to what Jesus said earlier. God is the perfect father. 
And we as fathers are imperfect. We love our kids, we love our kids, and we want what's best for them, but we don't always get it right. And sometimes we, we're not really, if we're to be perfectly candid, we don't always make the kinds of sacrifices we know we should be making that are in their best interest. So we are imperfect. And so in that sense, compared certainly to, our, to God as a father, we're, we're evil in comparison, right? So that's what he's saying. But if my son asks me for something to eat, I'm not gonna say, are you hungry, son? Yeah, dad, I'm hungry. Great, nibble on this rock. That's evil. I wanna give my, my, what my kid, what will feed my kid, what's good for them. Now, the reality is, I'm not gonna give my kids something that they will then take and use in a destructive way. I'm not gonna give them something that they'll use and, and they might even harm themselves with it. And it could be a good thing, like if your kid, when he's little, he says, I want three or four scoops of ice cream. And you're like, no, that's not gonna be good for you. Ice cream is good, but, but no, four scoops, is, that's not good for you. So I'm not going to give you that. And so there's this sense that God being perfect, sometimes we don't get what we ask for because God knows, no, if I give that to you, it's not gonna go well for you. And you're just, gonna, you're just gonna have to trust me with that. Even though it's the desire of your heart, I know in the end, if it was granted to you, it's not gonna go well for you. So that's one reason why we don't get the things that we ask for. Now, the reality is, is that many people talk to God only in moments of extreme desperation. God, help. God, I've gotten myself into a really messed up situation, and so I just really need you to do something to get me out of it. Perhaps God, even in that instance, might say, actually, no, you're going to reap what you sow and experience the consequences to your actions so that you will learn not to do it again. And in this way, you might begin to ask for the things that are good for you things that you need, things that will give you life. And so this is all about entering into a personal relationship with God. And so prayer, in this sense, strengthens our relationship with God because we're leaning into him and trusting him for the things that we need, but we must ask. So in Mark chapter 9, there's, there's this gut-wrenching story. There's the story of this dad who has a son, and the son is deeply troubled. And the reason why the son is deeply troubled is because he's being tormented by demons. So if you've ever had a child or a grandchild, someone that you love that has a really unique challenge in life, uh, and that part of that challenge is that in, in their own way, there's some, there's some unwinding, there's some destruction going on in his or her life. Oh, you feel that pain. <laughs> you feel that pain. And so here's this dad whose son is tormented by this demon and and the disciples are gathered around and they're having trouble casting out this demon. So Jesus rolls up and he says, hey, hey what's going on? Hey, well, this, this kid has a demon and he's struggling and, and we can't seem to do anything to remove this, what's, what's challenging this kid. And, and, uh, and so Jesus responds by saying, you know, there's just a very small amount of belief in the crowd right now, but bring the boy to me. So the boy is brought to Jesus and all of a sudden, the demon recognizes who Jesus is because Jesus has got some power and word is spread amongst the spiritual community that you encounter Jesus, it's not gonna go well for you. So Jesus flexes, but not before having a conversation. And what's sad is that as the boy is brought before Jesus, 
the demon literally throws him into convulsions. And so picture your, your child just, just hitting and throwing himself up against the ground over and over. And the text says he's spitting on himself. And dad says, Jesus, if you can, help my son. If you can, if you can, help my son. And Jesus responds with, Anything is possible for those who believe. And then the man responds in the most unusual way, and it's incredibly honest, because he says, with Jesus, I do believe. But I'm having this crisis of faith right now, so I need you to help my unbelief. Well, wait a minute. Do you believe or do you not believe? Well, the key is in understanding the first word that he uses in questioning Jesus. He says, Jesus, if, if you can. He doesn't say, Jesus, I know you can. He says, I, I think you can. I hope you can. I've heard some crazy stuff about you. I think you've done this kind of thing in the past. So if that's true, if you can, if you have that kind of power and authority, help me, help my son. And, uh, Jesus responds and, and does his thing. And the son is healed. Meanwhile, there's this little space of doubt in dad's heart. And the thing about this story that I absolutely love is that Jesus honored this man's sincere faith, his sincere desire to grow his faith larger. Jesus says, I'll take it. I'll take it. Now watch. I'm about to increase your faith. Watch me work. But none of that happens without what? The ask. Ooh, do you catch that? The ask. So some of you might be like, man, I'm really stuck in my faith or I feel like my faith is really shallow. Let me put it right up to you. Ask. Ask God to increase your faith. You might be like, I just have a little bit. That's cool. The fact that you're sincere and asking for more, that's the first place. Just, just a simple prayer, and that is, God, I'm just asking you to give me more faith, and then watch what God does. So the first step is simply to ask. Then Jesus goes on, and he says, seek. So what is it that we are to seek? Well, previously, he's just talked a lot about it. In Matthew chapter 6, basically, basically to sum up that section, he says, y'all are seeking after so many things in life. And you're all becoming unwound because it's a super anxious world that we live in and the culture is always pressing in on you. So drop it. Seek first God and his kingdom. That is the things that pertain to what God wants on this earth. Bring a little bit of God's kingdom, his heavenly kingdom to this earth. Seek those things. He's been laying down those principles in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. All those things encompass the virtues and values and ethics of God's kingdom. Pursue God in those things. Then all these other things will be added to you. What are the things that will be added to you? Two things, peace and life. Peace and life. The life that you've always wanted to live in, just a sense of calm, and the fact that God is sovereign and in control, there are no mistakes, 
and this peace of God just washes over you in a very troubled time. So all throughout the Bible, people are literally encouraged and even commanded to seek God. In the Psalms, I'll prove it to you. Psalm 27, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. The young lions suffer and want hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. That's Psalm 34. Psalm 105, seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually, Psalm 119. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Have you ever felt like, God, it's kind of like, it's like maybe you're hiding from me. I keep seeking, but, but, but you're... You're, you're hiding. The psalmist is brutally honest. David writes many of them, and there are moments when he says, you can sense the desperation. God, where are you? Hey, God, where is your face? Because I'm having a hard time seeing it right now. What's the answer to that? In a word, persistence. Persistence. Are you seeking God persistently, day in and day out? Believe me when I say that God is not hiding from you. Ask, seek, and then there's this further level of engagement, and it is a knocking. You ever have someone knock on your door, like, you know, at dinner time or just the most inopportune time? And you're like, oh, oh, who's that? And you don't want to be bugged. You don't want to be disturbed. So if you've ever been in my house, you know, I have these two little uh, uh, pieces of glass in, my, in the front doors. And so they're kind of frosted, but you can kind of see out. You can't really see in. And so if, that has, if someone knocks on the door, if someone rings the doorbell, and, and, and I don't really want to engage with them, I kind of look down the hall, and I look to the window, and I'm like, I don't recognize you. I'm out. <laughs> And then the dog starts barking, and you're like, shh, 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 you know, and you're like, and, and you, you don't want them to know that you're home because you don't want to be bothered by somebody. But they don't leave. And you're like, okay, now this is getting weird. This is persistent. And what happens? Because of their persistence, you might kind of move a little closer to the door and the window and go, what does this person want? Who are they? What are you about? So, you know, it's really interesting that Jesus tells a story about this, persistency. Read it to you, Luke chapter 18. He tells them a parable to the effect that they ought always, always, always to pray. And don't lose heart. Persistency in prayer and not losing heart are tied together. Watch this. In a certain city, there was a judge who, this guy didn't fear God. He didn't fear man. This is a rare, rare individual. This guy's flying solo. There was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice, give me justice, give me justice. I've got all these enemies, all these people that are doing wrong. Give me justice, give me justice, judge. For a while, he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, I don't fear God and I don't fear man, but I fear this widow, because she's really a pain, <laughs> keeps bothering me, so I'm going to give her what she wants, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And Jesus said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. 
I'll give her what she wants. And will not God, the good father, who doesn't give his kid a stone, but gives them what is good for them? And if they're hungry, he feeds them in the appropriate way. So let's turn the corner. Let's talk about God. Won't God give justice to his elect? It's like when your kids come over. If there's a knock on my door, my kids don't even need to knock. They can just walk right in. Will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, that's a reference to Jesus, here's the point, here's the punchline. When Jesus returns, will he find this kind of faith? What kind of faith? Persistent, persistent. When Jesus returns, is he gonna find his people? Will there be people persistent in their faith that they haven't given up? that they continue to make their requests known. They're seeking, they're knocking. What I would say to you is this, don't give up on your prayers because the reality is some of your prayers may be lifelong prayers for people that you care about. You want God to intervene in his or her life. Don't give up on those prayers. And here's the thing, you may not live to see God answer those prayers. Don't give up. Because what happens is the persistency in, in, in prayer actually draws you closer to God. See, this is all about enhancing your relationship with God. So Jesus says, be, be persistent. Now, from one preacher to the master preacher, I can see that Jesus is beginning to land the plane with his sermon. Because in doing so, he gives a summary statement of pretty much everything he's been saying. And he lays it down like this. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. All of the law of the Old Testament, you want a summary of the Old Testament. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. This is a great, great statement. If you want kindness, treat others with kindness. If you want mercy from other people, then you better show them mercy. Then they're more likely to return it to you. It's nice. Beautiful closing statement to the sermon. If I was advising Jesus on the sermon, I would say, perfect. Let's, let's put a period on it, and that's it. Let's get it out there. Great stuff. And... Uh, and you think it through and you realize, wait a minute, maybe that's not enough because do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That might be something that you would hear popular influencers today of all ages say, right? I mean, that might be something Oprah might say. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Or Tony Robbins, he might say that. Do unto others as you do unto you, right? So, okay, that's good. That's a good message. That's a great moral message, but then Jesus doesn't leave, he doesn't leave the sermon alone, <laughs> He does what he continuously does, and he just kind of takes his finger and he presses in on you once again, and he says, now, I'm about to disrupt everybody again, because you all love that statement, and you would wish I would just leave things alone with that, but now we're actually gonna go here. So here's how we're gonna end the sermon. You ready? Listen up. Very next verse. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard. That leads to life, and those who find it are few. 
So here Jesus describes two paths. He's actually going to go on and describe two trees and then two houses. Earlier he's been describing two different kingdoms. Two paths here. These two paths are not at all what you think. The first path, he says, is narrow. Now, the word narrow in Jesus' time, the specific Greek word, it was not a word that you would want applied to you as an individual. If someone came on the scene and, and used this word to say, hey, you are a narrow person, you'd be like, wait, I'm not, wait, don't, don't say that about me. I'm not narrow. Even in our own time, we, who wants to be described as narrow-minded? Nobody. It's like derogatory. Nobody wants to, wants to have the word narrow described to them. We want to be wide. We want to be open. And so Jesus uses this negative word and he applies it to a gate, but with the most unusual outcome. So when Jesus says, narrow is the gate, everybody's thinking, oh, this is going to be bad. That leads to life. And everybody's like, wait, what? Narrow things are bad. Jesus says, no, no, actually, narrow is good because there's, there's this narrow gate and it leads to what is wide. Oh, narrow leads to wide. Narrow leads to life. And then he says, there's another gate that's wide, but it actually ends up in a very narrow place. See, it's paradoxical, right? He's messing with your thinking. Well, I thought wide was good. No, no actually, this wide gate, it leads to something that's really narrow, and that, that narrowness, it, that's destruction. And that's a really bad thing. So what is he talking about? What are these two gates? Well, the wide gate represents all those who think they can come to God on their own terms. That's, that's the wide gate. So it's kind of like this. Let me put a modern context on it. If you ask most people, do you believe in God? What are they going to say? Yes, I believe in God. Second question, how do you get to heaven? What's their answer? Be good. If my good outweighs my bad, then in the end, God is duty-bound to throw open the gates of heaven for me. So as long as, as I keep striving to please God, then I'm good. And what Jesus says is actually, no. That gate that you think is wide becomes very narrow and will destroy you and so it, it's, um, it's not what is wide that leads you. And many believe that. Jesus said many believe that. Again, if you, today, if you ask most people, how do you get to God? They're going to tell you, well, the gate is wide enough for everybody who's good enough to get in, good to get in. And Jesus says, well, here, here, here's, here's the problem you have. Um, in order to be good enough to get into heaven, you have to be what? Perfect. Uh-oh, that wide gate, that wide gate just became very, very narrow very few people can get in. And so now the narrow gate actually becomes really, really good because the narrow gate is accessed only by Jesus. Picture him as the only one that has the keys. So he's the only one that can let you in. You can't get in on your own merits, no matter how wide you think those merits might be. You can only access it narrowly through Jesus. And this turns out to be a beautiful thing because we don't have to do the work. 
Jesus has done it for us. So as you enter through this narrow gate, Jesus says, here, right here, come here. Let me just unlock this for you. Okay, go ahead. And then what happens is you go through and you're like, things open up. Things become wide and you realize, oh, this is what life's about. This gives me meaning and purpose. This is leading to a well-ordered life. There's nothing restrictive about this life that God has for me, but now I realize I have to access it only through Jesus. Narrow becomes wide, wide becomes narrow. And this is, I'm just gonna say it, and you go ahead and challenge me. I'll take all takers, right? This is the very thing that sets Christianity apart from all other faiths, period. This is it. Because in all other faiths, you have man striving to earn his or her way to God. But only in Christianity do you have Jesus saying, nope, click, open, come on through. You believe I'm the one that has the keys? That's it. That's what gives you access. This is the thing, this is Christianity part. So when I'm having these conversations with my Jehovah Witness friends or my Mormon friends whom I love dearly, this is their big struggle. It's just a simple question. If you were to die tonight. See, I'm afraid that if, if, if we leave this meeting and, and you cross the street and you get hit by a car, do you know for certain that you would be with God in heaven for all eternity? And their answer is what? I'm not totally certain. <laughs> I'm not 100% certain. Why? Because in their faith system, they're not completely convinced that they've been good enough. They're hopeful, but they're not completely convinced. Meanwhile, 1 John, John writes, by this we know that we have eternal life. The Bible says that you can know that you have eternal life. It's not a guessing game. And that Greek word for know is oida, and it means to know beyond a shadow of a doubt. You, listen, God doesn't want to play games with you. He doesn't want you to wonder, am I in, am I out? Am I in, am I out? No, he's like, Jesus. Believe in Jesus, you're in. That's good. Why would you fight that? I just took all the pressure off of you. Why would you possibly resist that? If you do, that tells me something about your own control issues and your problems with authority and it's the condition of your heart. And, and yet people still think, I don't want that. I will be the master of my own destiny. And essentially what you're doing is you're saying, that's cool, God. I'm gonna take you off the throne, put myself on it, I'm good. That wideness, what you want to be so wide is narrow and it leads to destruction. What does this mean for you personally? Well, I can tell you this, the pressure is off. You know, you can live day in and day out knowing that your eternal destination is secure because of what Jesus did for you if you place your faith and trust in him. If not, you're gonna be a wreck because you're always gonna be unwound trying to figure out, am I good enough? Have I done enough? I'm hoping that in the end, I'll make it. The Bible says you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt. I'm gonna have you bow your heads and close your eyes. I don't know where you're at this morning, but I'll tell you this, it's an important moment because everything hinges upon this. And maybe you're here and you're like, I, I, uh, I've, I've tried the wide way and it hasn't led to what, uh, what I've wanted in life. The beautiful thing about the gate being narrow is it's all about Jesus and so you don't have to adhere to what the culture is telling you to do, to be, or to say 
you become a Jesus follower and all of that stuff is, it just, it, it's decided for you and it leads you to the life that you have always wanted to live. So if that's where you're at and you're like, hey, how do I get started? Uh, ask, ask. And the simple ask is, hey, Jesus, I want you to come into my life and I just want you to lead me. Lead me. Lead me through what is narrow, but what opens up to the wideness of, of life as God intended for it to be lived. And then you seek, you seek to understand more of who Jesus is. And one of the primary ways we do that is to read the Bible because the Bible tells us who God is and essentially it is that love story to all humanity. And that was Jesus' death on the cross, dying for you and all the junk all the wrongs that you've committed, Jesus takes on himself and he says, I've got the keys for you now, man. I've got the keys for you. Took all of it upon me, I got the keys. You trust in me, it's unlocked for you. And then you just keep knocking. There's a persistency to your faith and, and over time you build this relationship with God that you never knew could be possible. And he walks you through all of these valleys and these shadows and, and all the while you just, your persistency increases your faith and the more you know about God, the more theology you have, the more blessed you become. Father, uh, will you please, as you always do, honor the sincere desire of every heart in the room. Just as that man said, hey, I believe, but I, I need a little help. Help that part of me that doesn't believe. Lord, help us. That's what faith is. Faith is trust. And so we're just throwing ourselves upon the already finished work of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that as we enter into this prayer, even as a, the prayer team is down in front during this last song, we wanna receive people to pray whatever is on their hearts. If this is a new relationship, we would love to pray for you in that. For those of us who have embraced this, let's be reminded of the motivation to wanna to live for God. The kindness of God leads us to repentance, and it's so good. And Father, we're grateful. We're just we're totally humbled. We're grateful that you have made a way for us that actually takes the pressure. God, it's just, it's like it's too good to be true. It takes the pressure off of us. Gives us what we always wanted. Father, there are so many things that work against us, the powers of darkness. Like they inhabited the life of that boy, they, they just want to disrupt us, Lord. But God, you are, you are so much more greater. Flex in our lives than only the way that a supernatural, supreme God like you can do. Because in the end, it's always for our good, but ultimately it's for your glory. And God's people said, amen.